0: segment we are calling Ask Pastor Joel. This is not to be confused with Desiring God's Ask Pastor John. Each week we will be taking questions from the congregation of New City Church concerning either a topic that they are curious about or that week's sermon. And so with me right now I have the pastor of New City Church, Pastor Joel Littlefield. Hey brother. Hey bro, how you doing? I'm doing really good. This (laughs) is a good idea you had. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, super excited to Get started on this. Um, so, just in case we have some people listening that maybe aren't part of New City Church, um, maybe you mind introducing yourself a little bit and just sharing a little bit about New City.
1: Yes, yeah. New City Church is a church plant. We started about uh, just about six years ago. Uh, my wife and I and our four kids moved to Bath and planted this church, and uh, it has been a, a privilege for the last six years to be a part of uh, an awesome church family, and to be pastoring with, right now, four other elders. And uh, as the lead pastor, I get to um, have a lot of uh, time in the pulpit, and I something I take very seriously, and I have a great pra- passion for preaching and shepherding, and I'm really grateful to the New City Church family uh, for allowing me to do so. And uh, yeah, it's just a privilege
0: to, to be able to do that right now in this season of my life. Yeah, and we are, we are super grateful to have you as well. So. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into uh, this week's question. This week, our question comes from Alessia. Her question is, I know prayer is powerful, and I know it's a gift to us because we can talk to our Heavenly Father, and I know He wants us to pray, but I've always been confused with asking God things with Him being both omniscient and omnipotent. Excuse me, He already has a plan. However, I also know that Moses, quote-unquote, changed his mind through prayer and petition. Predestination makes it worse for me when I'm supposed to pray for people to be saved. Could you help me understand this concept a little more? All right. I'll see see what happens, if I can
1: help bring some understanding, hopefully not additional confusion. The The question has some he- big words in it, omniscience, omnipotence, uh, predestination. All of these are questions in and among themselves, topics that are huge. So, um, But I'm going to try to get at the heart of the question being about a Christian's desire to be uh, involved in prayer, but also knowing how that works in a world where we know God is sovereign and things happen according to a providential plan. That means a a predetermined plan, including, uh, with the doctrine of predestination, including those who will be saved. So that's uh, clearly not the first time a question like this has been asked, so Alessia, you're not alone. Um, I have Pondered questions like this, and every other Christian who is honest would say they have as well. So, um, let me see if I can answer this in a helpful way. I want to start with just a statement about God, because I think it's good that we begin with talking about who God is in His nature whenever we're dealing with uh, deeper questions like this of theology. Uh, if if nobody's ever read or familiar with the Westminster Catechism, I just want to read a statement. Their question on what is God is answered this way: God is a spirit infinite eternal and unchangeable in his being wisdom power holiness justice goodness and truth so that's the answer that's given uh, for the question what is God and I, and I underlined as I was sort of preparing for this underlined this word unchangeable um, you brought up in the question about Moses uh, in you even quoted it in your question changing the mind of God and I think that's because there's an understanding that we just can't change God's mind if, if we're really honest about God and him being God, we don't have the power to change Him uh, in that sense. And so I think you're in, in in the right frame of mind there. But just to just kind of undergird that with some scriptures, Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so that Psalm, uh, that verse in Psalm 90, just sort of creating this idea that God is infinite, um, and before He brought about changeable things matter, um, and the things that we see around us, even human beings, God has been... He is everlasting. He doesn't change. There's so many other scriptures that we can go to to get that base of the unchangeable or the immutability is the theological term for that. James 1.17, a well-known scripture says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So I wanted to start there just by saying you're, you're right in that God doesn't change, but there is something... Uh, sort of a relational aspect that happens between creation, his, his created people, and and how they interact with God. And there are certainly times in, this, in the Scriptures where it seems like God has changed, but we have to remember that Scripture being written from a human perspective and by humans is the only language that we're able to use. God speaks to us through human language, and so terms are used to try to explain things that God does, like um, in the Old Testament, the word repent is used for God. We know He doesn't repent like we do. He has never sinned. There's no uh, sin in Him, so He doesn't turn from evil or anything like that, but there's no shadow or variation due to change. That's something that we can, we can trust in, and that's an important place to start when we're thinking about prayer. So we gotta, we have to begin there with the character and nature of God. So then I also want to affirm what you said about it being a gift. And so I think every Christian, every person who's listening to this, um we should see prayer as a gift. It's communication with God. So if we if we look at the word prayer as a as a word in the original language, either Hebrew or Greek, um, it doesn't, it's not very comprehensive by just looking at the word. You have to look at it in context. Um, My wife and I, from time to time, will watch uh, English shows, and they often say, pray tell this, that, you know, they use the word pray. It's, it's, It's really about, you know, explaining something or desiring an affirmation of some kind. But in the context, we know that when Jesus taught us to pray, it was about petitioning or going to our Father, and it was a form of communication. So that is a gift. So what are we seeking through prayer? We are seeking some sort of change. okay? So when we as believers pray, we definitely want something to change and change of some kind, but it's never a change in God's mind. And I think we need to kind of step back and say it's okay to seek change and want there to be something that changes. But we're not actually trying to change God, even when it seems that His mind is changing. Scripture says otherwise, because we've already begun with this idea that God is unchangeable. All right, so when it comes to asking things, we do this in light of the fact that He knows all things, He can do all things, but we do not ask these prayers or speak prayer to God in any expectation— or uh, anxiousness that his plan is not already well established in in an eternal decree. So let's just say you're asking something about a um, a, a change in a job situation, or you're praying for a loved one, um, or even you're. Let's say you're just praying for your own heart. Um, you can pray in light of the fact that God can do it in a moment. He knows what's also going to happen, um, but we also know that. It's rooted, what God is going to do is rooted in an eternal decree, something that He has planned from beginning from the beginning, and that gives us a lot of confidence in prayer. So this is, so here's something, I'll just go back to this, uh, another couple of theological terms. The Reformers used to call these the, the, the nature of second causes and first causes. All right, so I'll try to explain that a little bit. So the, the nature of first causes are those things that God does that are directly from His hand, all right, let's say God causes a storm, okay? Well, that's a first cause. He, he does that, all right? Let's say... Um... You know, God brings judgment on a, on a nation, we read about it in the Old Testament, or something like that. That that would be a cause of God, the first cause. But then there's nature of second causes. These are things that, that man does that God is not responsible for doing, but He's still sovereign over those things, and that's the nature of second causes. And those are the things that we mostly see. We have to be able to trust that whether it's the, the first cause coming directly from God, God's hand... Or it's something that man has done, that God is sovereign over all of it. And I think that's why there's such a confusion in prayer, is because we know we can't change God, God's gonna do what He can do, but we're also also trying to align ourselves with all of those means which God uses in order to bring about His ultimate will. So let's say you're praying uh, for a loved one to come to know Christ, Uh, you want God to save that person, you know that only God can save that person. At the same time, you know that God is going to use means in order to do that. God isn't going to change anything about himself, but he is going to use circumstances and people. Maybe it could be a tragic accident. It could be something that's completely unexpected that you would not ever say, God, do this thing. You would just say, God, would you save this person? And God is going to use his means in order to bring that about. There's actually a really good story in the book of Acts that I just want to read that combines all of this. You're probably familiar with it, but Acts chapter 27, this is the, the describing the shipwreck of Paul uh, in his time of his missionary journeys. It says in Acts 27, verse 27, when the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat uh, the ship's boat into the sea under pretence of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, "Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved." Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you." So, just to stop there for a second, Paul just said something incredible. He prophesied and spoke with clarity that there was not going to be any harm that's going to be brought to any of those people. All right, this is clearly coming from the Lord, and an inspiration from God, a prophetic word. And then he goes on and says, "...and when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves." We were all in, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, listen to this, this gets really cool. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed. A bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that, that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken b- up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and then the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The scripture, here's my point of saying this whole long story, which is what's really cool. The scripture could have just simply said, not a hair on their head is going to be harmed then they suddenly were brought safely to land. So I love the fact that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is able to explain that though God was providentially planning that they all be saved, that there was a means in which they arrive at that place, and that's real life. So when we pray and we seek the Lord about an outcome— We want God to come through, we want Him to show His power, we want Him to save, we want Him to provide. We are expecting that on the way to that outcome, real life is actually going to happen, and God is sovereign over all of those means. We have the advantage of reading Scripture and seeing that even though Paul knew, somehow, that all of them were going to be safe, that there were all all of these other, even tragedies. So those were second causes, right, would you say? Like, God, did God cause the ship to run aground? I mean, I guess some might argue yes, in an extreme sense. But it's also just what happened. It's a second cause. Was he sovereign over it? Yeah. And it was a means by which he was going to use all of that to, one, build faith, to strengthen Paul's faith, to strengthen the faith of these men who are witnessing this man of God on the boat, and then suddenly, and then eventually they were all run aground. And so, or they all made it safely to the land. And I, I say that to bring up the fact that prayer, I think, more often needs to be thought about as a means to change our hearts. So why pray if God is sovereign? Why pray if he providentially works all things according to his will? Because prayer aligns our heart with the will of God. We are seeking our submission, our surrender, lessening our desire to see our will be done, and trying to align our hearts with what God has already revealed in His Word. It is a stretch and an act of faith to pray, knowing that God has a determined outcome already. But I think the more we mature and grow and we align ourselves with God's will and in His Word, the more we can confidently pray and say things like Jesus taught us to say, your will be done and not mine. And so, Alessia, to just sort of bring it all the way, all the way back to your question, um, we should pray as though prayer is a gift and find great joy in praying to a providential God who has plans, and who is unchangeable, and who has all wisdom and power. He is omniscient. He knows everything, but that actually increases our desire to pray. In the same way that knowing God has foreordained and elected and predestined uh, many to salvation, that actually increases my desire and my heart to witness to more people and to be confident in our witness that God has sovereignly already planned and predestined for His people, but not only the ends, but He's but he's predestined the means. And so we can find just a whole lot of joy in prayer, thinking of it as a gift, but with a lot of confidence knowing that God does not change. For Moses, as far as what you brought up, it it I think it's a great story that he saw the judgment of God coming upon the people of Israel, and Moses pleaded with him. But could we say that Moses actually changed the mind of God that God had some lack of wisdom that Moses filled him in on. No, not even, not even, not even close. We know that God was strengthening and and shaping the faith of Moses as well as the faith of God's people uh, through all of those interactions. So. Um, Keep on praying, press on in prayer, believe and uphold the sovereignty of God and the unchangeable nature of who God is and let that build your confidence in prayer.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, just when you sit down and think about it, it really is a mind, just a mind-blowing concept. It's like just figuring out how prayer works and, um, uh, but again, just the, the purpose of it, like, Prayer is supposed to help us, like be be aligned with the will of God. Amen. Ultimately, so that's yeah, that's that's great. Thank you, Joel.
1: Yeah, that's you're awesome. welcome. Ho- hopefully, that was helpful.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, Alessia, hope hopefully that answered your question. Um, and if an, if if you are listening to this podcast and you have a question that is just stumping you and you're you're thinking about um, and you would like to have answered, um, reach out to us. Uh, You can text your question to 207-790-1955. Again, that's 207-790-1955 if you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Joel. Until next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.